Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles throughout the 90s in Australia. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. No, 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 podcast. <laughs> Casey Atkins. <sighs> Good evening, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tonight we're talking about another five songs that hit number one in Australia throughout the 90s. We are sort of near the end of 1995. We've still got one more song after tonight to talk about from 1995. Cool. Right now we are sitting in the 8th of July and our first song we're going to talk about tonight was number one for six weeks from the 8th of July, 1995. And this is U2 with Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Kill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2, number one in 1995. Uh, this song was obviously from a film. And Tim Byron, do you want to tell us what that film is, but also tell us what you th- think about this song? So this is from Bed of Roses, featuring Christian <laughs> Slater. <laughs> no, this is, this is from... Um, it was a Batman Forever or was it Batman and Robin? There Batman were too many like, Batman movies in the 90s and I'm just confused by them all. And they were all bad and... Yeah, this was Batman Forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, Batman Forever. Um, and, yeah, that they had this kind of Bond theme kind of thing going for Batman songs in the 90s. We had Prince doing Bat Dance. I don't think there was anything from Batman Returns, but there was this and um, from the movie after this, which I think was Batman and Robin, yeah. um, there was the Smashing Pumpkins with the end is the beginning is the end. It was the end, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it was just the end. <laughs> of the franchise. <laughs> Until someone did some Batman movies after that, maybe. I don't know. Would yeah, you do Batman like, movie anyway. after Batman? <laughs> <laughs> so what about the song, Tim? How do you feel right, about so, it? So this is actually quite a special song for me in a bunch of ways because I remember um, really liking this song and not being able to hear it on the radio. But that's, that's the thing I remember with this song. Like, I remember I really liked it. I thought it was a great song and I was like very sort of, I like the video clip and I like seeing it on Rage. But I, I, would, I would never hear it on the radio. And I remember thinking this was weird because it was number one for six weeks. And um, at some time, at some point while it was um, at number one, uh, I went on a trip like around sort of country New South Wales with my dad and stepmom. Like we went to Mudgee for a, a weekend up there, like a couple of years before they actually moved up there. And um, as I was, I, I had my Walkman and I had the radio on the Walkman and I was sort of flicking around channels to see what was on. And one of the channels they had in, um, in Mudgee there wasn't much choice. There was like the, um, you know, the sort of the local like pop station, which I didn't find very insight inspiring at the time. And there was triple J. And so I turned it on triple J and triple J was playing, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Mm. And I was like, and that was when a light bulb went off because I was like, ah, triple J plays this kind of stuff. Uh And I was like, ah, and so this was basically more or less, the song that got me into listening to Triple J. Interesting. Right. Okay. Triple J loves you too. I know that for a fact. 
But they may not what play U2 quite as much now, but like in 1995, Triple J, like, Triple J thought that U2 were cool. And um, yeah, this song they played a lot and it sort of fits their kind of aesthetic in some kind of ways. It's sort of, it's probably U2's most grungy kind of song in a lot of ways uh, with the kind of, the riffs and the kind of like, um, you know, the, the feel of it is a bit grungy. And so, yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, I, I can see Triple J playing it. And I was like, and it made Triple J make sense for me hearing this song on it and then like hearing other songs around it. And so, yeah, this was the song that made me start listening to Triple J. Cool. What about now? Listening to it today, I mean, it's all right. It, it's a, <laughs> it's like it's, you know, it's like a U two song from the soundtrack, and it kind of, it's like a song that's been made to order for this particular soundtrack. I think they were probably thinking about a Bond theme kind of thing, and yeah, it's all right. I think it's, um, I haven't listened to it like for a while, but I haven't listened to most U two for a while, apart from bits and pieces of Akhtun Baby and Zuropa probably. So, yeah, it's all right, but I'm not losing sleep if I never hear it again. Yeah. Casey Atkins, what about you? Yeah, it, it's it's really one of those songs. Like, I, I think I actually quite liked it then, and I remember seeing the movie and being quite excited about the movie. Who was Batman in this one? Was this some? Um, this was Kilmer. Yeah, cool. Um, and which one was Keaton? The first, first two. two, right? First two, yeah. Um, and Clooney was the last. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I remember being quite excited about the movie, and and this song being from it just was. Um, yeah, it, it, it was cool for for that reason because it was the cool song from the cool movie that I really liked. Um, but now I just hear it exactly what you said, Tim Byron. It's just a song that's that's written to fulfil a brief, you know. And um, mm. whatever you think about you two, which we'll probably talk about, which we've talked about before. But um, I, I quite like you two, but this is a pretty piss poor you two song. Really, <laughs> you two have a lot better in them than this. Tim Coyle. Yeah, so I love Batman. I love you too. So I love this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get her at last. Yeah, exactly. Two plus two is four. <laughs> <laughs> two plus two is awesome <laughs> to my fourteen-year-old ears, at least. So yeah, and the film clip was done in that um, anime animated Batman style mm, as definitely. well, mm. with uh, Bono animated as the Joker, essentially. So yeah, I, I, there were a lot of things for my 14-year-old self to like about this and the guitars were nice and crunchy and they had those C6 string stings going on in it, which I really liked. Now, I think the other guys are right. It's it's kind of a workman-like U2 song, but this is the point for me where U2 singles tended to not be the more interesting things that they were doing. It's like album tracks were far more interesting than this uh so as time went on i'd I'd come to realize that so yeah um i mean it's it's definitely not a bad song by any measure but yeah there's not a whole lot to distinguish itself um well for me i definitely yeah liked it at the time i guess this is probably the era which i loved you two the most right you know it was after uh upton baby and zooropa and zoo tv tour and and how Bono in the film clip is the Joker, is that he's playing Mephisto, who's this mm, sort of like the yeah. devil alter ego, fighting against the sort of fly film clip era Big Glasses Bono, which is kind of interesting. Completely and utterly egotistic, but interesting. <laughs> uh, I love this song back in the day. I bought the single. I bought the Batman Forever soundtrack. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, made me discover the Flaming Lips. Uh, because oh. The Flaming Lips were on there. Uh, but... Yeah, and then listening to it today, it's fine. It's about as good as you two got from here on in, with a couple of exceptions of highs of the highest songs. I completely disagree with that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, like there's, there's a couple of real high points <laughs> that came after this song, but, you know, it could have just been an album track on how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Yeah. And so, yeah. It has all the good, good and bad of that, and um, it definitely has a pretty cool riff. And yeah, it's functional lyrics. It's uh, it's a song that they played before they gave it to the Batman movie. It was from the Zeropa record sessions. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and then they just I think just finished it for the movie. So it's kind of has a smell of B sides to it. But that's kind of what happens in these yeah. film things, isn't it? It's like the track that was left over from the album. Maybe go back to it, fix it up a little, and God knows you too did that again with some success uh, shortly after this. But uh, yeah, 
Yeah. What was that? Is that something else? Sweetest stuff? thing. Um, you know, taking an old B-side and then... Which is a yeah, the purest off. example of a B-side. <laughs> yeah. But look, it's... Um, I reckon it's a pretty good song. You know? It's in square above average for you two for me. Yeah. I reckon it's better than anything on pop. Oh, but like, no. That says more about pop. What's what are some of the singles from pop? Is well, it, yeah, let's is, talk is, about YouTube. Is, Num, is, is Num on pop? Num no, actually no, wrote that. Um, okay. st- staring Num's at the sun. Staring at the sun is which a pretty good song. Discotech. Discotech. Uh, last night right. on Earth. Last night on Earth. Okay. If God will send His angels, is fantastic. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, Maybe that's better than this. Actually, I take that back. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, they they always had their moments. Pop was. It's very interesting hearing them talk about pop these days, where it's just like it was when they first started using Pro Tools. And it was Pro Tools to death, and mm, it's really too is. long, and yeah, and then you know all the excesses of that was sort of cut off for their next record, which was uh, all the can't leave behind. See, yeah. all that you can't leave behind is where I, I got a real resurgence into you um, uh, two love. I just I really really love that record and and still do. And post that, I think it it, it went downhill. But now, but for me, um, all that you can't leave behind was a real um, just a, a, a final kind of gasp. But yeah, we can really really do great stuff. And then there was you know the how to dismantle atomic bombs, etc. etc. Um, <laughs> beyond the, <laughs> I think they've only had one album after that, which was the um, No Line on the Horizon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of good songs on it. For me. Um, the, what's the one that we were just talking about? Um, all that you oh, can't, you can't leave behind. behind. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the point at which I gave up and I got bored because I didn't like that sound of U two. They were going back to the eighties sound of U two, like the kind of with or without you and mm. that kind of um, very well, widescreen kind of just, not trying to be too um, like smart and mm. meta and all that kind of stuff. They were going but, back to the just doing what they did best mm. kind of thing is what they saw it. But I didn't like what they did best. I liked what they did sort of. Weirdly, like <laughs> Octum Baby and Zero. Yeah. Kind of stuff. You did what they did. You liked what they did averagely. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like as if Eno and Flood never happened, right? They just sort of... Uh, but it wasn't... It didn't sound like an 80s record to me. It really just sounded like it stripped back. Yeah, but, and I think I loved what you two put across in uh, when they toured that record. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the concert films of... Um, when they did have, um, not how it was um, all that you can't leave behind where it was really, yeah, they did the, the love heart thing, but it was just like kind of the four guys on stage again with not a lot of bullshit. Like there was no big zoo TV productions. They did it in indoor arenas, not in stadiums. And, and I just kind of liked how they did it. And yeah. maybe I, maybe they were like doing something that I fell for, but whatever. Like I just like it. Fair. Having, Attended I like, like the bullshit. Yeah, having attended yeah. one of the bullshit shows yeah. in a stadium with all the bells and whistles, it's a pretty great spectacle. Oh, I'm sure oh, yeah. it is. I'm, I bet it is. I've never seen you two live. No, no, I've seen quite a few live DVDs and things yeah, like that. So. But um, hmm. uh, I kind of like both sides of it. I mean, sure. you know, it's like I don't know if they could carry on doing that forever and they had to stop and when they stopped – I mean, because it did get ridiculous, especially after Pop Mart and, you know, the famous story of being stuck in the lemon and how expensive that was. <laughs> and, you know, it's so like they the had... from Stonehenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they had Spinal to stop. Cap. And the fact that, you know... Populate itself. Look, there is, there is that <laughs> Bowie thing of, um, you know, you've got to change with every record thing that U2 does. You know, they, they go in with a big idea of what to do next. And I love that. And whether... Whether it's being stripped back is sort of default or whether stripped back is a put-on, it doesn't matter to me. Like, yeah, um, this is, there is also, with the Bowie thing, you always get to your Thin White Duke stage where you're just so coked up and ooh. have indulged in so much fascism. That <laughs> oh, yeah, Bono's muscle shirt around the yeah. corner. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's kind of you, you reach the absolute end of what that pushing the envelope can do for mm. you. And yeah, you, you two did get to that point, I think. And I think pop is, is it, it's, they really exhausted a lot of the ideas that went into that. And a lot of, because I think part of what the appeal of albums such as Uptong Baby and Zeropo were, now Uptong Baby had really good songs uh, to go along with it, but that it, they were these very meta 
it, it was almost commentary on who you two were and what music was. Yes. And definitely. yeah, you could you can only take that so far until the point where it just spirals spirals around on itself. And yeah, that was kind of their thin white duke. I think it's also when you believe in those sort of bands, um, you you have to sort of be ready for them to make a dud record because the mm. interesting thing about them is that they change with every record, you know. Mm. And rather, it's not Neil Young where he does the same bloody record every two years. It is yeah, it's like Elvis Costello where he's a perfect example. You know, he just did the album with the Roots, yeah. or he'll do a country record, or he'll do a classical record, and I don't know. If even Elvis Costello can like every single one of those records. Yeah. But it's more interesting, that journey, and I think you two are definitely lean towards that way. I sort of feel like with you two, for me, that um, their basic uh, like their basic thing that they do, that they are, and they're basically doing their basic thing they do on All That You Can't Believe Behind, um, the basic thing they do to me isn't that interesting, and it's only interesting when you have, like, sort of extra flavours on it. And mm-hmm. so I like the extra flavours stuff in Atung Baby um, and, you know, Zuropa and, and to some extent on pop. But, like, the basic stuff to me is just, like, it's too basic. There's not enough going on for me to keep interested in, keep myself interested in it. So, for me, yeah, like, the, um, they're kind of moving on and trying something new thing. It's good. Like, you know, I, I like that in Bowie. And Bowie had a pretty good track record. Like, he does get to the, you know, a bit too much fascism kind of thing here and there. Um, but, you know, he loses the plot eventually. So, <laughs> so hard know. to find that line about having just enough fascism. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to our second song of tonight. Uh, We'll get back to Batman later on tonight. But number one for just one week on the 19th of August, 1995. This is Jan Arden with Insensitive. Number one for just one week uh, in 1995 uh, by an artist called Jan Arden. Tim Close. I love how you said by an artist called Jan Arden. Like, it's not like, of course it's Jan yeah, Arden. Yeah, well, like, you know. You know. Uh, multi-platinum superstar Jan Arden. Uh, you know, from all those other songs that she did. Like, which Tim Coyle would tell us about now. <laughs> Well, for one week in 1995, it was like it was 1987 all over again. <laughs> <laughs> really. Yeah, there's, there's something so 80s about this song. And, yeah, it's really, really uh, I, I think to, to the, the best way of approaching this was when I looked this up and found out that this was coming up on this particular podcast before listening to it, I could barely remember this. Yeah. Right. And even after listening to it a dozen times this week, it hasn't left much more of an impression. <laughs> yeah. Did you remember it from back in the... Like, did you, did you uh, yeah, it, it? It, it, listening to it jogged my memory. And, yeah, it's just such a dull and insipid song for mine. And I, I could kind of see that it's been 
written and crafted to within an inch of its life and it's it's all very meticulous but yeah uh, i think for me that that kills a lot of what is going on in this song i could see that it's very well put together but yeah it, it leaves it leaves me quite cold and also for a song which is meant to be a withering kiss off to a former lover he wasn't exactly quaking in, in his boots no. when when he heard this song. It's 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 something I'm sure was quite in, yeah. it's something I'm quite sure was empowering to the person who wrote it and to Janard and singing it. But yeah, this isn't kind of proving much. Yeah. I'm sorry mm. to say. Casey, what about you? Yeah, and had no fucking idea what this song was. <laughs> I saw this on the list and went, what the hell? Who the hell? What? Huh? So when I listened to it, I, um, I, there was maybe a very vague, faint bell ring when I heard it, but nah, not really. I have really pretty much zero memory of this in the time. Um, so in terms of how I feel about it, it just kind of sounds like, um, I, I think it sounds like the 90s version of what turned into things like Taylor Swift. Like, I think it sounds like a country song that's not really a country song, you know? <laughs> do, do you know what oh, I mean? I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, like, there's just something in the, the twang of her voice and um, and something in the sheeny, shiny production that sounds like, kind of actually sounds quite a lot like a, a modern inverted commas country record. Especially from it an old... the pedal like, steel, it'd be country. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you get those artists later in the 90s, like Faith Hill, who did like this kiss and all that sort of stuff, where yeah. they're sort of older and sort of, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, it's very, very unremarkable though. I mean, there is a remarkable... There is actually a remarkable aspect to it, and that is the fact that it got to number one in Australia for a week. <laughs> That's fairly remarkable, but apart from that, no. Nah. Tim Byron... Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, egg? And? <laughs> Jam! Jam! <laughs> yeah, huh? like, this is, um, like, I listened to this this week and then, like, tried to sort of remember how it went after I listened to it. And it's just my mind is blank. This has to be the most, like, unmemorable song that we have done in the whole of this podcast so far. So, so this one, like, it reminds me of um, All I Want to Do is Make Love to You by Heart. It's the only sort of song that has that kind of 80s-y I, I kind of... I did get that, yeah. Sort of, like, slightly discontented woman talking about her problems, but, like, <laughs> kind of thing, I guess, which I wasn't going to be interested in in 1995 because my mum already did that. <laughs> do, do you remember it or not? Yeah, well, I listened back to it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I remember that song. But it's the kind of thing that you, I must have heard, like, in the background on the radio and never paid attention to. Mm. Because when I saw it came up on the list, I was like, what's that song again? It, it didn't, um, you know, it, it certainly hasn't, like, you know, imprinted itself very much on my memory and it's just kind of gone now again. Like, I forget. How does it go again? We just sung it and it's just gone <laughs> yeah. again. So, um, so, yeah. Apparently she's from Canada. So we have Canada to blame for Brian Adams, Celine Dion and Jan Arden. Yeah, but Damn like... Canada. <laughs> Well, she seems to have had quite a big career in Canada, so I'm assuming she's like the Wendy Matthews of Tom Canada Cochran. or something. Like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I think she's done a duet with Tom Cochran. I'm sure she's an honorary colonel as well. <laughs> <laughs> All Canadians are honorary colonels, apparently. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she's she's had a long career in Canada, and she's um, some just – I don't know that from before I looked her up. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and she just seems like, yeah, like a Wendy Matthews or something, like, yeah. you know, arena of yeah. – uh, you know, when we were listening to it um, this afternoon, just the house, Joe was like, yeah, I always thought this song was Tina Arena. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Yeah. So it yeah. Is that contemporary? Maybe that's why it was a number one, because people thought it was Tina Arena. They were like, oh, <laughs> insensitive. No, it's not it Tina Arena. It was number one the film. But, yeah, look, I, I kind of like yeah. this song back in the day, like when I remembered what it was when I listened to it this week. <laughs> and it was just, it's never sort of rattled through my mind ever since. Oh, it's not because of the film. What film? Uh, it was on a film called Better Roses. Better Roses, oh, which I made the joke film. about before. Oh, I get um, it. Which yeah, yeah, was not on the soundtrack. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's okay. It, it's that thing that Tim Coyle, I think, sometimes says about some of the songs, which is there's a better song in there. Yeah. And, like, I can imagine yeah. if someone like Amy Mann tackled it, 
it'll be a bit more teeth to it. She might be changing some of the lyrics and make it a bit more. She'd write a middle eight. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, there'd be a cool guitar sound, and they just well, be... like Liz Fair could do a cover. And yeah, this, and like she, she'd like really bring out the the fire in it. Yeah, it's just totally missing from this performance. Yeah, this there's, is... there's not a lot of angst in there for what should be an angsty song, and also Danny talks about the lyrics; they're just too complicated. Really? Yeah. I didn't <laughs> I didn't, no, it's not like they're well written, but it's such a wordy song uh-huh. that yeah, it, it kind of it, it, it's weighed down mm. by by all the the intricacy of, of the words, and it really doesn't manage to land a punch in doing mm. so. And it goes back to what I was saying: whoever this song was directed at is kind of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's sensitive, am I? Well, it's kind of you know. That guy didn't feel like his balls were in a purse. Yeah. Look, from a songwriter's point of view, though, that that there is something about that hook about, um, God, what is the lyric? I don't remember. It's something. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 There's I'm something kidding. about that hook. Danny, if you can't remember, it's the lyric, not a hook. There's nothing about that hook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, give me lessons on how to be insensitive or whatever. It's just like, yeah, it's just like a nice thing. It's almost like, that's the only bit of the song that they had, and they went, "Oh, we're gonna freaking construct another song around it." Yeah, and they did did a sort of average job. Of, like, I don't think it's bad. It's not a one star song. You've got to listen to it because it's so bad. It's a kind of two and a half star mediocre bad, which is even um, worse. Yeah, it's, it's it's yeah, it's aiming for mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not bad. Like, it's I mean, that's mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. that's the thing yeah. with like being a music critic and writing about albums and things like that. Like the bad stuff is fine. You can write about that easily. And the good stuff is great. You can write about that very easily. And it's the stuff that's in the middle. This is kind of a bit mediocre. It's not like terrible. It does, you know, it, it's, you, you have nothing to write about and there's nothing to sort of like latch onto. Like if stuff is bad, it's doing bad. Well, in a funny kind of way, whereas <laughs> it's just doing nothing well. well yeah. That's a, that's kind of the thing when you get to talk about something as deeply rotten as Mr. Biggs to be with you. Oi. You, can talk, <laughs> you, can, you can talk at length about it, whereas this, there's just, uh, it, I mean, what what can we do? It's <laughs> yeah, it's not really a car crash. It's kind of just a sort of fizzle it's, 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 it's just It's just a really average car that just no, drives just, cars. It's exactly. Third song of tonight was number one for another six weeks. Mm-hmm. From the 26th of August, 1995, this is Kiss from a Rose by Seal. My eyes become large and the light that you shine can't be seen From a Rose by Seal, number one in 1995. Casey, I don't think we started with you yet tonight. How do you feel about this song? <sighs> you know what? <clears throat> this is going to be difficult. I really like this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you happy you got that out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it kind of passed me by a little bit. Of, I mean, it didn't pass me by. It was impossible to avoid at the time. Um, but I never really hated Seal then. I thought um, uh, Crazy, which I think was the only single of note before this, and correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, um, but I thought that that was a great song as well. But it was a number of years before this. Uh, that was 1991. Yeah. Um, and this was everywhere, and I, I certainly didn't hate it at all at the time. And since then, I... 
just kind of like it. I think that note that he goes for in the chorus is great and, you know, I just think it's a really, really well put together, uh, well-performed, well-constructed pop song, pretty much deserving of everything that's come its way. Um, and, and I just, I, I really like it. I think he, he delivers it beautifully well. I think that, that Seal's a bit of a knob, but, um, and I, and I find it bizarre that he's, um, and this is something we'll probably talk about, but I, I find it bizarre that for someone who hasn't really had that many hits as far as I can sort of think about that, that he is elevated to some kind of level of being a bit of a legend. But, um, but I just think that this is, um, a really good song that was, very well put together, hits all its marks perfectly and um, and, and is impeccably performed. I think it's a great song. Tim Kyle. Yeah, it's not going to be as difficult as Casey imagined. I really like this song too. Really? Oh, yeah. there you go. Um, okay. Now, um, I mean, I remember, I only re- really remember this and Crazy, and I think Crazy is a phenomenal song. Mm. Um, mm. And, yeah, just a very, very memorable song. I remember at the time this was a little bit of a, a come down from that because it's a, a much different kind of song. This is the, the ballad, whereas Crazy was much more intense mm. and there was a lot more going on. But, yeah, um, I didn't... I, didn't I didn't love it at the time, but didn't mind it. It was also number one for six weeks and there was a little bit of fatigue there that sure. after one or two weeks it's kind of like yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of over this yeah but listening to it this week i really like his voice yeah. a lot and he's quite a charismatic performer and there's a lot of really good touches in this song um it's a good chorus but the the bit where it just kind of, I mean, it's not quite a middle eight, but where he just repeats, I, I've been uh, kissed by a rose. Kissed by a rose. Yeah, it, that is really good. And it's just kind of uh, a good way to really pull your attention back mm. into the, the song. Whereas, because unlike crazy, it meanders a little, I find, would be the one criticism I would make of it. But yeah, I think this is a, it's a great little song. Cool. Tim Byron. See, last week, Danny Yao was all like, back for good, he's genius, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he's like, back for good, he's so well-constructed, blah, 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 blah. This is like 10 times as fucking well-constructed as back for good. This is just like genius. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Every, I, I was really, I thought, thought I was going to get shot down like Mr. Big Star than this one, and everyone likes it, so there you go. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I listened to this and like, you know, I, I just hear Seal just sitting there going, what's the weirdest number one I could possibly have? <laughs> this is like a waltz that has all this like, kind of like a flute at the start and some fiddle dee dee kind of renaissance kind of shit. You can imagine like someone who's like a Shakespeare film or something like that. Is that like MC Hammer shit? And like, you know, so it's a waltz. It's got that little acapella bit that Tim Coyle was talking about. For some reason that I can't quite understand, but it totally works. In the middle of the verse, he like gets to this big kind of climax of my Power, oh, that's my pleasure, my pain, baby. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff is just like, you know, who the fuck thinks of that to have like that in the middle of a verse? But it totally, utterly works and it's just brilliant. So, yeah, so he's, he's totally a talented guy and he sings it beautifully and, um, you know, it, it kind of, I guess, fits in the film, but it probably doesn't really. Like, it's, I guess, in the video clip, Nicole Kidman is looking cute in it, so I guess she's the rose who's getting a kiss. But like, well, the I mean, roses don't have mouths, so I don't know how they're kissing yeah, people. But, but this, is, this wasn't, this wasn't initially made for the film. This was released in 1994 with a completely different film clip and just petered out. Ah. Uh, didn't didn't chart particularly well. Ah, and then uh, it was included on the Batman Forever soundtrack and mm. it made it to number one with the, the new film clip and, and everything. So, yeah, um, a, a little, uh, I guess, similar to what Danny was saying with the, with the U2 song. It was, it was made independently of the film and even then released as a single independently yeah. of the film and went nowhere. But, uh, yeah, its involvement with... Uh, oh, I don't think it was ever released as a single. No, it was. Oh, was it? It had oh. its own film clip and mm. everything. No, oh, okay, cool. It's interesting because there's been a few songs from this year so far that have that kind of story because um, uh, Mouth by Mel Bainbridge was mm. released in um, 1994 and it went nowhere before Mel- Molly Meldrum obviously discovered it in early 95. Um, but, yeah, Danny, tell us what you think about the song. Uh, 
I fucking hate this song. Yeah, wow. You know this, don't wow. you? No. I fucking hate Have it. Have talked about this? The medieval thing actually is quite funny. Like, <laughs> this sounds like a song that some crazy characters in Men in Tights might come out and sing. Ba, 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 ba. Like, <laughs> like, it is just, oh, it's terrible. Like, lyrically, it's terrible. Like, there's nothing redeeming. <laughs> there's nothing redeeming about the lyrics. Like, it's just... It's it's worse than a sting lyric. It's uh, it's <laughs> oh, actually no, look, that's that's not just a facetious statement. It really does remind me of Sting. Um, you know, I can imagine Sting doing this. It has that sort of world music sort of exploration thing, mixing it with like a adult contemporary sort of sound, which Sting did. You know, like Field of Gold or whatever. Um, mm. But there's I find nothing in this song that I like. But it was also everywhere, so I hated it. I had the Batman Forever soundtrack and I just skipped this song and then it was released as a single. So, yeah, it is just, yeah, for me, I just find it airless and I could not find myself, I don't know, I just don't find anything relatable in this song for me. I've never, like, that whole castle imagery and death imagery and stuff like that, it's just like, you know, there is nothing, nothing there for me. Is that I like you and I. So what's there for back you for good? You said why, but you like fucking. Well, back. I mean, I don't want to talk about back for good, but back for good has a great line about lipstick marks still on your coffee cup. Like that is an image that I can relate to. A kiss from a rose on the grey in a castle because the woman's died and he's leaving flowers on her gravestone in the fucking raining castle. That this is like heavy metal fantasy that's fucking like Tolkien. Yeah. Yeah. If Meatloaf did it, you'd love it. But Meatloaf is Paradise and Dashwood. That's teenagers <laughs> snogging in a car and making that dramatic. This is Tolkien. This is this is fantasy metal for me. And, yeah, I just, like, never liked <laughs> it for that. that. It's that's just right. kind of, and, like, yeah, it's, there's no, nothing really interesting for me melodically. Really? No, it's just I really can't, can't believe that you don't find that, that chorus melody Striking, I. But really, you find any value above this? Like, I mean, I guess you guys do. You said it, but yeah, it's just, it's as, it's just sort of silly as, like, I can imagine the person who wrote this, writing a song like that, "Save the Best for Last" by Vanessa yes, Williams. Williams. Like that, the lyrics are just, you know, it's that it's that triple M thing of is it kindergarten poetry or is it Keith Urban lyrics? Is it kindergarten poetry or is it this seal song? Like, I mean, there's no. Real subtext or sophistication there for me, and yeah, I've just never liked it. And also, on a pretty good soundtrack of cool indie songs, it would make you it made me hate it more. So, it's always been a song that I hated and I've avoided it my whole life. And it's nothing that Seal has ever done has made me change my mind about him because I started from zero. And then it got worse every time I've had to have encounter seal in my life through popular culture, like you said, the voice and all that mm. sort of stuff. So, yeah, seal has always been kind of shit for me. That's uh, that's really interesting. I was kind of ex- it, it, it's funny. Like I was expecting you you to be the only one on my side. Oh, really? Side. Yeah, but there you go. But, you know, there's no like I love a well-made song, but this is just yeah. No, this isn't. I don't think this is a well-constructed song in that sense. It's put together the way that they want to put it together. I'll, I'll give it that. But <laughs> it's not a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you like Travis. <laughs> no, but, like, you know, the, th- the reason I like Travis and... Two words, Byron. Smashing Pumpkins. No. <laughs> but the reason I like Travis is... It's not the... that far away from this and Smashing Pumpkins. They both did Batman soundtracks. Yeah, but the reason I like Travis and the reason I like Crowded House... And the reason I like Squeeze and the reason I like all those sort of kitchen sink bands is that those are songs that you can use every day. It's a thing that our friend of the podcast, Paul Andrews, always says, like, you know, these are songs that you listen to and you can use every day. They're like socks and underwear. And, like, and songs that are so overly dramatic and big, I've always shied against. Like, I don't understand people singing about the sun goes round the moon and I don't understand people singing about, yeah. Kissing a rose. It just doesn't... I just find it so unrelatable. Hmm. Well, you have such a small world. Well, you know, I like you... Like, this is the time where I liked you, am I? I just... I, do you... Have you ever found yourself in a situation, a couple of you guys being performers, where you go, what I feel right now is singing Kiss from a Rose? Uh, I may have done it. Yeah. 
Really? No, I, that you you I've you react been... so closely to the emotions of that. Oh thing. no, there was probably irony in it. But um, okay, I, I, okay. I, I, just I, on that note, we're going to talk about the karaoke version of Community, right? Uh... <laughs> and that song was number one for just one week from the seventh of October, nineteen ninety-five. Don't remember my birthday when I turned fifteen. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> this is number one on my fifteenth birthday. And this is Mariah Carey with Fantasy. Number one for just one week on the 7th of October, 1995. Like I said, over my 15th birthday, which I can't remember what I did, I probably just skipped school. <laughs> Who should go first? sat around <laughs> listening to this song all <laughs> <laughs> I was on that roller coaster with Mariah. Um, Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to start with a melisma, like it does in the song. Uh, we, we knew what you were doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mariah Carey is funny because, like, as a vocalist, I don't really like what she does. But this song, it's pretty great. It's got a great chorus. It's got that kind of fun, summery feel. Um, sample's nice. It's, you know, insofar that I can get over the melisma at the rest, of, you know, at the start, the song's all right. It's pretty good. I listened to it and I was like, yeah. It's all right. Did you remember from back There's in the day? There's certainly a lot worse Mariah Carey songs than this. Did you remember from back in the day? Yeah, fair enough. Like, it wasn't something that I paid, like, super much attention to because I was listening to Triple J by this point. Um, <laughs> Thanks, to around, <laughs> Thanks to you, too. on Rage. Thanks to you, too. But, you know, that's the thing with Triple J. You've got to have some sort of gateway drug, and for me, that was you, too. For other people, that would probably be, you know, Thirsty Merc or something, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ray, if you're listening. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for me, fun pop song. Uh, I, it's not worth taking incredibly seriously as far as things go, but, yeah, it's all right. That's my kind of general feel on it. That's kind of probably what I thought then and what I think now. There's certainly much worse Mariah Carey. Casey, what do you think? Uh, 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 I fucking hate it when she does that. <laughs> I just, it does. It's what she does, though. You need it in every song. So yeah, apparently. Um, Did I like, do a thing by going first? No, no, no. I actually uh, nicked it from you. Um, Fair enough. Okay. I got had like this real, this slight little tick when I this song started <laughs> in the car the other day, and it just went like that. Ah, and I was like, oh, God, I hate it when people do that. And of course, she does. She's one of the best. Um, beyond that point, though, I was kind of softened and went, like, it's actually not bad. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it, it's a single that could have been anyone's. And if it was someone that I hadn't heard of, like, if it was Jan Arden, I'd probably, <laughs> um, I would probably actually think more of it. The Jan Arden version is great. You know, <laughs> and, and she, the great thing about it is that she recreates the film clip scene for scene. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just like Gus Van Sant, psycho. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, she really put too much effort into doing that, and then she wears exactly the same clothes and so. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, like if it had been someone else 
that that did it, I probably wouldn't actually have much of a problem with it at all. I just really fucking hate Mariah Carey. She just does my goddamn head in every time, and it's that, <laughs> and it is that. Um, that uh, what did you call it, Tim? Melisma, right? Okay. Um, and I just kind of have uh, an instant aversion to anything with her um, stamp on it. And that is and that is her stamp, but in terms of what a, a song it is, it's 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 fine. Can call it. Yeah. So in nineteen ninety five, to my fourteen year old ears, Mariah Carey meant one thing, and that was just like belting out a completely overwrought torch song. Uh huh. And yeah, I did not like it. Uh, on a tram, I did not like that Sam I am. And <laughs> yeah, and this is the thing. This song is a real transition for her because stylistically she's moved on to something else. It's just I didn't notice it at the time, really, because Mariah Carey came up and I was like, eh, this crap. Turn, did did you turn into Crossy the Clown, as you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> I do not like that green-haired man. <laughs> but um, listening, to, listening to it this week, I really liked it. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's really good. And the thing is, this this style of song just suits her so much better than the, the big soppy ballads, mm-hmm. I find. It suits... When she's not doing the melisma thing, it suits her voice better. The way she's hitting that beat in the verses is really great. And, yeah, yeah it's got a real snap to it. Mm. And uh, I think the verses are a little bit better than the chorus, although the, the chorus serves a purpose. It's, it's the release to that tension of the, the snap and the beat in the verses. But, um, yeah, really, really worked for me this week. Really good melody in the verses. And yeah, I just um, it, it's a funny one that yeah, it's kind of that first impression of who Mariah Carey was uh, was that yeah, she was this label um, label crafted starlet who was doing huge bombastic ballads, and that she had moved on to to this style of music, which was probably more the what she herself was interested in and listening to. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it suits her down to the ground and it had that fun, it has that fun breezy thing. She gets that in the film clip as well. Um, this is kind of back when she was smiling a lot and yeah, kind of. She looks because, good when she's smiling. Yeah, she does. She, she actually looks happy rather than all the insanity that, that followed and yeah, kind of turned her into, into a punchline. Which yeah, she could have gone another way entirely, it seems. So yeah, it's it's kind of it was a nice surprise actually. Um, yeah, look, this is where I this is the the end the last gasp for Mariah Carey for me and I think for most of the public. This is the last record with Tommy Mottola. After this, she did Honey with the overblown film clip. She turned to a diva, but now she was still Mariah from the block. And this is the last sort of. <laughs> <laughs> last album of that, um, and so it sounds exactly the same as the last two albums before this, and it follows that template, and it's fine if you liked it. And I definitely was a sort of semi-fan at the time. And it's funny because around this time I was already, I guess I was getting into UMI, and one of the things I noticed about UMI is that they, they always do the third single ballad, and uh, Mariah Carey was the first person I ever noticed did that. Because she always put out these great first singles, and this was a great first single, and then Emotions before, and then Dream Lover, like these great, upbeat, fun songs. <clears throat> and then it was always the third single where she'd do Without You, the Bad Finger song, or Hero and stuff like that, or One Sweet Day with Boys to Men. And they were always like third single in that just to show that she could sing. But for a less successful artist, she would have just been a person who just did great Janet Jackson-y, Paula Abdul-y sort of pop songs mm. and would have been fine, but she got so successful and, you know, was having sex with the head of social music for a long time that she just became a priority. And Yeah, and this is – there's three Mariah Careys in my mind. There is Pop Mariah Carey, which is this, which is the best one. There's Ballad Diva Mariah Carey, which is kind of what she became more than anything else. And then there was the soulful I Hang Out With Black People, Brian Carey, which is kind of buried. No one talks about it anymore. But, um, you know, <laughs> where there's a gospel band, in, like there's a gospel choir in the background of her film clips for no reason. And out of all those sort of 
great, fun pop singles, this is probably one of the best. So compared to Dream Lover and Emotions and stuff like that. And, yeah, this was the last album before she went nuts and everyone, yeah, this is the last album before she went nuts as far as I'm concerned. And I kind of liked it. I have it. It's another album that I have. So, yeah, the other song from this album that I always loved, what was it? Always Be My Baby. That was just another fun song. You know, I, I, I find it really bizarre. And I know we talked about this um, on last week's podcast, just the amount of records that you bought and had and, and, and owned. <laughs> but, like, you're talking about... How much about, fucking pocket money did you get, Dan? I know. I didn't do anything else. <laughs> um, the, um, the idea that you're, like, reconciling the idea that you're buying Mariah Carey and you and my albums in the same breath is just... <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> Denny contains multitudes. Our last song of tonight was number one, also for another one week. Uh, These are these are very short number ones before we get to someone who dominates it in the next episode. But uh, this song was number one from one week from the fourteenth of October, nineteen ninety-five, and this is "In Trance." We're staying alive. Roll with the fever on the dance floor Now who got the fever for the flames? Who can think the way that I flex on a track? Conclusion rampage, breaking rip on point With the knife I style for my lips That be rolling the mad joints Just put your hands in the air Cause there's a party over here So grab yourself a beer And we can get our fever on I'm with it, so let me put my big brown fever on Disco, I can flip so I'ma drop a solo tip Something for the honeys in the crowd Let me hear it So I can turn the party out Till tomorrow afternoon Cause when I grips my still No one leaves the room So tell me can you feel the Mask girls coming with the FIFA, FIFA, FIFA Staying Alive by Entrance number one for just one week in 1995. Tim Coyle, why don't we come back around to you? Staying Alive. Oh, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Someone somewhere in 1995 just kind of reclined back in their chair and thought, you know what the world needs right now? They need a rap cover (laughs) of Staying Alive. It's like the, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of, they, they had really gotten to the bottom of the barrel of their ideas as far as covering songs on new takes on songs. And, oh, this is so terrible. It's just such a uh, um, tonal mismatch of you've got all these delicate little falsetto harmonies and this guy just comes in like a steamroller <laughs> <laughs> with all the, with all this macho rapping and oh, it's such a mess and yeah just the 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 complete um the complete mismatch which i was talking about it's so obnoxious and look i i my mum and dad owned the Saturday Night Fever albums. They didn't mind themselves a bit of disco, so I grew up with a, a, a bit of it around. And, yeah, I've got a fondness for it. And, yeah, this just wiped it out with one fell swoop. It's it's that obnoxious and that uh, unsubtle and awful. Casey Atkins. Um, this was another one. I talked a little bit last week about that idea of how songs got popular and types of music got popular and I just could not for the life of me figure out <laughs> why. Like, what is it that anyone saw in this? Like, what what, what was it? And there were people at school that I remember saying that they liked it and buying the single and stuff and I'm just going, what? And I think even then I had an appreciation for the, the original song um, and I just, I just, I just don't, get it and didn't get it and don't get it now. Um, an interesting thing that I want to bring up later, so we'll come back to it, but 
this is not unique in it, or at least anymore. This may have been one of the earlier ones or possibly even the first one where they've just taken a song and shoved crap over the top. Like it's not a cover song. It's more than just sampling a riff, but it, it's still not quite a cover. And But this has happened a lot, and so we'll come back to that. And but, it kind um, of is the start of the era of people doing that a lot, though. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I, I bet, oh, God, what a pile of crap. Tim Byron. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly saying it's awesome because I thought it would be funny to say that it was awesome. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, to, to me as a song, like, I listen to this and I find it really enjoyable. Like, it's a silly song. Like, I don't get the impression, like, that kind of gangster stuff he's doing, I don't get the impression that he's doing it seriously. And, like, listening to it now, I'm fairly sure that there's, like, a, a knowingness about this, this, that, like, that they're, like, that to some extent it's either a parody or it's done with some sense of irony or, or something like that. And um, and so, yeah, to to me listening to it now, I mean, Ricardo La Force, uh, do, sorry, Da Force, not La Force, Da Force, <laughs> Ricardo Da Force, who's the rapper in this, um, he was also the rapper on KLF's Justified and Ancient and oh, like, really? 3AM Eternal mm. and stuff like that. So he comes from that kind of KLF world of, like, not taking things very seriously. And if you watch the video clip for this... Um, the video clip, I think, is kind of hilarious in a funny way because if you, if you, did you, any of you guys watch it this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the film clip is thing. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, you get the three sort of disco guys who look like sort of like half disco and half hippie. They've kind of got hippie hair as, as well as the disco kind of thing, and they're doing the um, the Travolta like you know one finger in the air kind of thing. And um, and they're at the, <laughs> in the video. They're at the the discotheque and. Um, and sort of just kind of being menaces and they're like sort of trying to slap girls on the bum and, and stuff like that. And eventually um, that they get champagne and shake it around and the um, the cork from the champagne ends up in the eye of one of the um, the cronies of Ricardo de Force. And so then they take the disco guys out at the end at the end and then shoot them. Because they disappear. Because they disappear and the bullet holes are in the wall, but the bodies disappear. I see that they're paying a boardwalk empire like attention to de- historical detail. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, you know, it, it, it takes the whole staying alive thing pretty seriously because, like, you know, if you're going to be a douche at a disco around like Ricardo de Force, you know, you're not going to be staying alive. Which was, I think, what they were trying to do with the video. So I don't know. I I don't think this is a serious song. Um, I, I think it's kind of funny for me. So I have uh, been listening to it, kind of enjoying it as a, a piece of basically stupidity that is um, amusing. And like the, you know, the the rapping, you know, all that kind of ho 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 kind of stuff at, towards the end. It's just like it's so cliched that like it's too cliched to be quite that cliche because these are like English dudes who are doing it. They're English. They're not like Euro disco. It's actually English. Yeah. So um, for me there, um, you know, I, I feel a sense of knowingness there that redeems it for me. Well, <clears throat> I mean, Ricardo de Force wasn't in Entrance. No, so, no, he, he was just the rapper. In, in yeah, so he's just a hard gun. Hard so, what, hand, okay. so whatever he but thinks about himself. after that, he was in Entrance because they did um, Do You Think I'm Sexy, like, yeah. which was basically in the same formula as this one. But, like, yeah, but basically he's a hard hand. He just does what the other three guys tell him. And, you know... And same as we did KLF. But, um, yeah, there's nothing for me in this song that could be... There's nothing good in this song that it doesn't come from the Bee Gees. Yeah. Like, that riff is still awesome. Mm. That beat is still awesome. And it's the same as the Bee Gees. And uh, it's completely and utterly insulting to the film Saturday Night Fever. Like, so strange how few people have seen that film. There's nothing... Oh, really? No, no that's seen. amazing. <laughs> no. See? There's nothing fun and camp about that film. No, it's quite gritty. It's yeah, so it's, fucking dark. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, gritty social realism. It's about a bunch of poor kids from Brooklyn who want to, who spend all their money going to sh- nightclubs and ruining their lives doing it, essentially, and they die. <laughs> like, I mean, it's fucked. Yeah, it's, it's oh, spoiler alert. But staying alive is much more meaningful within the context of the film. Yes. Right. Yes, because they're because they're in a desperate lives. they're in a desperate situation. Mm. And yeah, and whenever it's just reduced to like, oh, it's the dance move, and it's just like, yeah, it's just a, it's just a kind of silly thing for me. But like, yeah, it's not anything. Like, I mean, 
you know, we, we've we've said the words a lot in this podcast. I think all of us said it. It's like, I will live a happy life of never hearing this song again. Sure. And, yeah, I wouldn't live a happy life never hearing Staying Alive again. I love that song. It's great. I love the Sandy Mutt um, Fever soundtrack. But, yeah, this song, there's some interesting bits. I think the female vocalist does an interesting thing, you know, when, when she does the, the chorus of this song, whatever. But that's really me trying to find something to like in a song that I will never listen to again after this week. So, yeah. so it, it trans did nothing. <laughs> so what are some of the, I mean, the, the main thing that this kind of spawned, if you will, um, was just this, this, this idea of taking a song and throwing crap over the top of it. Yes. And, the, and the one thing that pops into my head is actually quite a recent one. Did you guys all hear that thing that Kid Rock did with Sweet Home Alabama? Oh my god! You know what? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and where not was only that. London. And that's another. It's, it's actually another situation where you know what we've talked about with um, uh, a couple of songs. One being Ice Ice Baby, um, where <laughs> it opens with it, it's just under pressure and you just think it's going to be under pressure or you, you hear under pressure and you <laughs> and think then it's going to be oh, and then, yeah. you, and then you hear the added note and you're like, ah, oh, damn yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same <laughs> thing because it, it opens with just the straight-up guitar riff from um, uh, Sweet, Home, Sweet Home Alabama, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And you could you think oh, it's yeah. that and then some friggin' drum loop goes over the top and you just go, ah, oh, yeah. okay. See, I thought you were going to start talking about that from the point of view of this particular song, which does start with the riff from Staying Alive on sort of like, it has that kind of bad final kind of sound, like the effect on it. And you think it's going to be that. And then it's like, no. Okay. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you an answer to your question before, which is why can anyone like this? Yeah. Which is, I think, because it wasn't my personal experience, but the kids in school who I knew liked it, liked the fact Sorry. Well, they were idiots. <laughs> but like, Excuse me. Come on. I like that. Like, like they, yeah, yeah. they liked the fact that it was a cool old sample. This was an exotic oh, thing. Bullshit. They didn't know what they were listening to. Sure. No, they no, knew this song. I think people at my school knew that we were listening to. No, I mean, the Beaches are well known enough and like yeah. Stephen yeah. as well known enough in Australia. I think it's also, it was recontextualizing this song in a much more urban um, kind of um, yeah, kind of sense, and you know that was part of the fashion at the time. And you know, and, and it, I think it might have been a riff that someone might have heard kind of around, maybe on Two WS or something. And the fact that they made it cool yeah. again, kids in my school liked it. <sighs> There's a better example of this, which is I don't even know the fucking name of the song, but with that rap cover of Kashmir. That wasn't the Godzilla soundtrack. Oh, Jesus. That was Sunny. Uh, come with me. Come with me. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, that's exactly the same thing. Oh, like, I was yeah. so offended hey, man, by that. it's cool. It's Led Zeppelin. I was so offended but by that. But it's sort of in the wheelhouse of what I like. And as much as you can go that's offensive, fucking Jimmy Page got up at the American no, Music Awards and did it with Puff Daddy because he wanted to stick his dick in that market. And so, <laughs> you know... And he came all over and made a lot of money. So, <laughs> but yeah. I think the thing with um, the thing with staying alive that I remember was I remember like using that sample in the way that it was came across to us as being like kind of um, you know cheeky or being kind of funny. Yes. Like it, like it, it was it was taking the music and kind of like it was it was knowing and it was like you know here's this song and let's make it new and kind of you know we know that the BGs are daggy. Like that's very much in the song and in the video clip. We know that the BGs are daggy, but like it's cool riff and let's do it. And I don't know if you guys yeah. have ever heard the band Tragedy. Have yeah. you guys like heard yeah. the band Tragedy? No. Um, they're basically a BGs covers band who only cover BG songs, but they do so in a metal style. And so they'll like put a whole bunch of metal riffs in it. And the Tragedy's version of Staying Alive is fucking amazing. The song <laughs> totally works so well as like a metal, like an Iron Maiden-y kind of Judas Priesty kind of metal kind of thing. Because, you know, you think about um, the Bee Gees and how they sing and they've got that kind of high falsetto thing. Also, yeah. there's a lot of that kind of metal as well. And, and you think about the riff yeah. and like, you know, you put a bit more guitar yeah. distortion on it and it, it works as well, a the, metal riff. The song, <laughs> the song also just has that relentless groove that can work really well in a metal context mm. because yeah. it's just driving. I can't remember. So, yeah, so I think it's oh. a I think it's a recontextualization of um the what the BGs meant in nineteen ninety five that made sense to a thirteen year old like me. Um but yeah, like like you were saying before with the um 
with the this thing becoming big very, very soon. Um, we'll get to it, but Puff Daddy is behind this becoming very, very big. He was the guy who was like, I'm going to take the chorus from this song yeah. and I'm going to wrap around it and I'm going to have a hit with it. And we will deal with P- Puff Daddy in good time. That brings us to the end of yet another show. And uh, we will do our usual thing of going around the room and seeing what everyone's favourite is from the five songs that we talked about tonight. Let's just recap the songs that we talked about. It is Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2, Insensitive by Jan Arden, Kiss from a Rose by Seal, Fantasy by Mariah Carey, and Staying Alive by Entrance. Tim Coyle. I never envisaged this happening, but Fantasy by Mariah Carey. (laughs) Tim Byron. For introducing me to Triple J, U2. Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, or... um, Numb me, drill me, floss me, fill me. <laughs> Casey? Uh, kiss from a rose. I'm going to go with Mariah Carey. You oh, knew I was. Uh, like, that's, yeah. like a pop single. So, um, yeah, Mariah wins, oddly enough. There Yay, you go. Mariah. Next week we will be back to talk about another five songs uh, and we will go into 1996. Eventually. Casey? Do you want to let us know where people can find us on the internet? Of course. You can email us, 90%hits at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, so it's 90%hits with percent spelled out in words. Uh, Tim Byron, do you want to tell us about the Tumblr page? Yeah, so if you look at the Tumblr in the week or so after this podcast uh, went up, uh, what you'll find is that every day we post about one of the artists that was on the podcast. So, um, the, you know, on the Saturday after this went up on the Friday, we'll be posting about U2 and Hold Me, Through Me, Kiss Me and other things from this kind of period of U2. We might post, say, discotheque or um, Staring at the Sun, perhaps. Uh, and uh, by the time we get to Thursday, we'll talk about some of the number twos of this period. And so we do this on the Tumblr. It's mostly Tim, me and Tim Coyle posting, but um, we've gotten good posts recently from Casey and Danny and they should post more, damn it. <laughs> yes, you can definitely find a post from me in the archives about Mariah Carey uh, and the cranberries and things like that. But yeah, uh, yes, look, and one more thing. Obviously, I think most people probably have found us on iTunes, if not from others, other areas. But look, please leave us a comment on the blog, on iTunes, on anywhere you can. We do read it, but on iTunes in particular, uh, it does help us become more visible and help us be found in search ratings and rate us and all those things as well. Um, it's really appreciated. And once again, no one's given us any feedback on uh, having a sign-off. So until we hear from you next week, please, if anyone knows what happens to Mary, let us know. Third song of tonight was number one for another six weeks. <laughs> from the 26th of August, 1995, this is Kiss from a Rose by Seal. <laughs> 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 That was Kiss from a Kiss by a Rose. 